Well, hi, Kingsgate family. It is great to have this opportunity to be with you on this Palm Sunday day. Easter is just around the corner, and now, together with the church around the world, we have the opportunity to reflect on those last days before the epic Easter event. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. It says there, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, uh, ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the centre of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Living as Kay and I do, often in America, much of our time is spent here, people often ask me if, um, if I've ever met the Queen. And um, my answer to that is in the negative Excuse me, I've not had that privilege, but I, I think I've mentioned it at Kingsgate before because it's a bit of idle royal sort of name dropping, really. I have met Prince Philip on one occasion. It was a, it was a life-changing experience for him. Um, I was at a youth club bouncing up and down on a trampoline and he was visiting and they, they told us whatever it is you're doing when he walks in, just carry on doing it because he wants to see a youth club in action. And to my horror, he marched in with his entourage and headed straight towards me as I was bouncing up and down. I discovered at that moment that it's quite difficult to bow and bounce at the same time. And he asked me if I liked trampolining, which I thought was a highly intelligent question, seeing I was bouncing away. And then he turned and walked off. That was it. That's the summary of my royal encounters. I've never met the Queen, although I've been within 20 or 30 yards of her at the Trooping of the Colour or the Queen's birthday or something like that when she's riding along um, on a horse. The crowds thronging the streets clapping and cheering as she rode by. This Palm Sunday event was a royal occasion, only it's Jesus who's involved, and he's not riding a horse, but a colt, a young male donkey. Now, you know, what has any of this got to do with us, with all that is still going on in the nation and in, around the world today? I don't want to talk endlessly about COVID today. I believe it's a word that we're absolutely sick of, and yet we, 
We continue to be battling the challenges of the pandemic with the grief, the sadness, the uncertainty, the economic turbulence that all of that brings. And we can wonder, where's the connection between all that we read about in the Bible and all that's going on in our lives today? And here's the thing. Palm Sunday is about a king who rode into a city under lockdown. You see, Israel at that time was living under the heel of the oppression of the Romans. They were not free to do as they wanted to do. If someone asked you to carry their bag for a mile, carry it two miles, Jesus had taught. That's lockdown instruction. In fact, when you look at scripture, you realize that much of the Bible was written by people in lockdown, often for people in lockdown. And so Israel were in lockdown in Egypt and, and Joseph, as a result of his faithfulness, his refusal to go with Potiphar's wife. Remember that story? He ends up in prison in lockdown as a result. There's Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They are exiles from Jerusalem, locked down in the big bad city of Babylon. You've got Paul and Silas singing hymns at midnight in prison, in lockdown. And then again, the Apostle Paul, two years in house arrest uh, in Rome. You've got the Apostle John living on a prison island of Patmos. Again, exiled, lockdown people. And here, as we read this story, these people were locked down by oppressive taxes, locked down by the Roman authorities, and now on the day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, they are thinking our rescuer has come. Here is the answer. At last, we are going to have our freedom. So all of this is very, very relevant to us. What can we learn from this particular episode? First of all, at this time and on this Palm Sunday, let's affirm that Jesus is the Lord of history. We read in the account here, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. What Jesus did that day was in fulfillment of a prophetic word that is recorded in Zechariah chapter 9. In fact, one of the great themes of Matthew's gospel is to show particularly Jewish readers, how Jesus uh, in his ministry fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. And I think it's important that we realize that this Palm Sunday event was not just a haphazard occasion, but the chronology of God, if you will, was being worked out. That the plans and purposes of God were being fulfilled. Now, look at that from the vantage point of the locked down people who were still living under oppression. And then this, this guy, this Galilean, rides into town. From their point of view, they're probably wondering, where has God gone? From a heavenly point of view, God's purposes were being fulfilled. And I know we don't live in a puppet theater where God is just pulling all the strings. We live, but ultimately we live, I should say, on a planet where finally 
ultimately God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled. And when we look at the Bible, we look, for example, at the book of Daniel, or we look at the book of Revelation. What's the message? The message there is despite present circumstances, challenges, even chaos, God has not abandoned this planet and we are not in the hands of fate, but ultimately God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled. And I know that's, that's easy. That's an easy statement to make as a biblical theological statement. And it's, it's harder to affirm that when you're wrestling with the chaos or you're nervous about sickness. I get that. Nevertheless, as followers of Jesus, that's the truth that we are called to plant our feet upon, that ultimately Jesus is still, still the Lord of history. Secondly, I believe this is time for us to rediscover the real Jesus in our lives. We read that most of the crowd spread the garments, their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, now why all of this destruction of the local foliage? What, what are they up to here? Well, they are thinking that Jesus is a military messiah who has come to kick out the Romans and establish an earthly throne in Jerusalem. The common view of the day was that a Messiah figure would come, a strong rescuer. He would kick out the oppressors from Jerusalem, that would be those nasty Romans, and set up thrones in Jerusalem. That's why in Matthew chapter 20, James and John, together with their mother Salome, came to Jesus and said, um, how about a throne? Uh, one at your right, one at your left, because they had that that paradigm, that theological expectation, they're thinking that this is the way Jesus is going to work. And that notion of how the Messiah should be, if you like, what Jesus should be like, even prevailed after the resurrection. Acts chapter 1, the disciples are still saying to Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking military Messiah. Now, what about all of the, these palm, uh, these palms, and 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 the uh, the garments spread on the road? Well, to understand that, you have to go back in history two hundred years earlier. The Greek ruler uh, Antiochus Epiphanes had offered pig's flesh to the Olympian god Zeus on the altar of the temple, and he had utterly desecrated the Jewish temple. Uh, turning the temple cubicles into, into a brothel. Now, that was the most blasphemous, obscene thing that could have happened um, in Israel. And so at that time, um, when the temple was um, renewed and refreshed, if you will, rededicated, there'd been this, this ceremony, this um, triumphal entry and what had happened is that they had laid out these palm branches and they had um, celebrated. So now they think that another rescuer has come and that it's Jesus. And they're talking about him being the son of David. Uh, Jerusalem was David's capital city. And now he comes down from the Mount of Olives. 
on the road that we know as the Palm Sunday route. And that would be a fulfillment again of Zechariah 14, a king who would come from the Mount of Olives and fight for Israel. But here's the thing. Jesus is exactly what Jerusalem needs. But he is not at all like what they expect him to be. They've got their priorities wrong. And it's as if they didn't notice the donkey. More about that in a moment, but they've got a vision of Jesus that is not really true. Tom Wright says the people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation by the rich. Here's a question. Have we got a, a concept of Jesus that is not really true? that we have imposed upon him. We've made him the Jesus of my preferences. The Jesus, there's a side of Jesus that I like. I I, I like the gracious, kind, loving, gentle Jesus. I don't like it when he speaks words of rebuke and challenge, we might be thinking. Some people want Jesus to be the God of their nation, the God who is like them. We want Jesus to be the Jesus who supports the cause that I'm most passionate about. And it isn't that the cause is wrong, but I use my concept of Jesus to support my passion. Or we want the Jesus that we can understand, or the Jesus who wants me to be comfortable or successful, or the Jesus who's the first responder. Just call him up when you're in trouble. Or the Jesus who always says yes. Or the Jesus who always says no. It's been said that God made humanity in his image and ever since humanity has been trying to renew the favour. Why don't we, as we approach Easter weekend, why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to birth in us a fresh, renewed vision of who Jesus really is, that perhaps we ask the Lord to show us a facet of his beautiful character that we haven't seen before. Perhaps we ask him to expose in us any images of Jesus that are not true, that are not faithful to scripture, that they're not not real. They're a figment of our imagination and we have transposed them. We have projected them onto him. The spirit of God will lead us in all truth. So let's ask for a true vision of Jesus. That brings us thirdly that we see here that this is the Jesus who comes to stir us and not just to comfort us. We read the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. The whole city was stirred up because of Jesus. And the word stirred there, it's, it's, it's rather mild actually. The Greek word is often used of earthquakes and apocalyptic upheavals. So um, the New English Bible, it says they were wild with excitement. Uh, The Weymouth translation says they were thrown into commotion. You see, Jesus always stirs things up. 
even as a baby. Polarizing opinion, the Magi from the East stirred to come and bring gifts. Herod, insecure, angry, developing a, a, a plot to kill all of the infant children of Bethlehem, stirred up. Jesus stirs things up. In fact, we read back in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 about the birth of Jesus. Uh, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Jesus stirs things. How about we invite Jesus to stir things up with us again? Because you see, particularly when you've been a Christian for a while, it's possible just to settle down into a rather benign sense of sameness, really. And you've got your faith and you absolutely believe it. And you've read the Bible through a few times and you've sung thousands of songs and but somehow things have just settled down. How about we, we take a step to offer ourselves in availability to him afresh? And when we do that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get some big exciting mission. Because sometimes the Jesus who stirs us, stirs us to new territory and new horizons. And sometimes he stirs us to commit to ongoing faithfulness and plodding along with things that are not terribly exciting. It's still the same stirring, but with a variety of different outcomes. I'm praying during this Easter season that God will stir my heart afresh towards him. I'd like to get some of my first love for him back. I don't want my first faith. There's a difference. My first faith was rather paranoid and uninformed and very superstitious. I haven't got time to go into that. I don't want to go back to my first faith, but I'd love to capture that first love, that utter availability, that readiness to obey immediately without hesitation. Why, not, why don't we say again, Lord Jesus, stir me. Notice too, fourthly, that Jesus came in serving. He came in humility, not as a conquering king. It says that they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. It's a colt. They would have expected someone riding on a war horse to enter the capital city riding on a donkey. Now, this, this really doesn't fit. This is not what a king would do. But he enters the city as a servant, not a warrior. And any fighting that's going to be done is not against the Romans, but it's against the far greater forces of the power of darkness. He's a servant. Over in Philippians chapter 2, we're, we're told there about the incarnation of Christ, how he came as the suffering servant, the suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of. But in Philippians chapter 2, we don't just have a Christology, a doctrine of the incarnation. We also have an example. The Apostle Paul says, think like this, act like this, let this mind be in you, is the biblical phrase. In other words, Jesus, not only our saviour, but also our example. Bear in mind that in ancient culture, humility was not celebrated. The Greeks despised 
the idea of humility, as did the Romans. They thought that was for slaves. It was all about grabbing power and showing who was in charge. But Jesus comes to serve and then we are called to walk in his footsteps and to the many who in various facets serve within Kingsgate or serve through Kingsgate or serve out there in the community as agents of the kingdom. Thank you, because you are modelling the character of Jesus. And actually, you're showing what it truly means to be in fellowship, because fellowship is a word that's used 19 times in, in the New Testament, and every time it's an acting, action uh, serving, uh, participative word. It's not passive at all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer taught that servants are people of active helpfulness. And then a serving attitude is, is it's not just about what we do, it's about how we act when people treat us like servants. A couple of years ago, Kay and I were leading one of our trips to the Holy Land and to Jordan. And we got back into Heathrow and we were ahead of our group. So we got through into baggage claim at Heathrow Terminal 3 ahead of everybody else. We had about 100 people in our group and their bags were coming out on the conveyor belt. So they all had the same big yellow tags from our travel agents. So we just thought, why don't we start unloading the bags and putting them on trolleys so that when everybody does come through, they'll be all ready. Well, I'm, I'm unloading all these bags, as is Kay, when this rather stern-faced lady, who was not from our group, walked up to me, and she obviously thought that I was an employee of Heathrow, that I was working in baggage claim. And she said, that's my bag, get it. And I thought, well, I'll play along. So I, I grabbed her bag, and she said, and then the red one, that's mine too, get that. No please, no thank you, just get it. So I got both the bags, uh, which must have been overweight, but that's not important right now. And then I attempted to put them on the, um, on the trolley, on the car. And she said, no, not like that. Got it the wrong way. Put them, put them on their side. And so um, I, I, I put them on their side. And then she just marched off. No, no, thank you. Didn't even give me a tip. And I stood there initially a bit irritated. And then I started to smile because I remembered that just a few days earlier, during our trip, we had stood in one of the locations that's believed to be the site of the upper room, where Jesus had, uh, remember, he took that towel and that bowl of water and he washed his disciples' feet. He taught them about greatness and about serving. Again, you know how much of a servant you are by how you act when people treat you like one. It was a good lesson to learn that day. And by the way, if by some gazillion to one chance, you are the lady that I met in Heathrow that day, um, five pounds as a tip would be absolutely fine. Just send it in via Kingsgate. Just kidding. Well, the last thing is this. We learn from this story that we are all called to share the news about what it means to follow Christ. Because we read here, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an, up, in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Inc. magazine 
recently ran a feature article about the 15 most important questions of life. And they were questions like, um, what do I need to be forgiven for? And am I living by my values? And what are my values? And these 15 questions were quite interesting. But I would like to suggest that the most important question in life is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the question that was asked that day on Palm Sunday. The biggest question of life. Because the answer to that question affects everything, both now and forever. If Jesus is who he says he is, then everything is different. This is not just a bit of God for Sundays. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we can invite him to rescue us. We can walk with him by faith. We can talk with him in joy and in trouble. We can know his supernatural intervention. We can know that death, even though it's still the last enemy to be destroyed, it's not the end. In his resurrection, he has beaten it. The most important question in any person's life, wherever in the world they come from, is who is Jesus? The answer to that question is absolutely pivotal and changes everything. As the Easter weekend draws near, this is an opportunity for us to speak up about our faith, to gently, kindly let those around us know that, by the way, did you know that Easter's not just about chocolate and cute bunnies? And don't get me wrong, I love chocolate and snacking on cute rabbits. No, I'm just kidding. We have the opportunity to say that Easter's not just about eggs or bunnies or springtime or chocolate, but it's about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again. And this is an opportunity too to invite those around us to participate in all that is happening in Kingsgate over the Easter weekend because there are people perhaps in our circles who are just waiting, feeling outside the circle, perhaps with questions, just waiting to have the opportunity to be invited into the circle. And we can do that. Why don't we pray this week that God will give us opportunity to speak, opportunity to share, opportunity to invite and you say, well, I'm not sure that I've got the theological nous to really share the gospel with somebody. The greatest truth that we can share is actually modeled by a demoniac who was delivered from demons by Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go home and tell what the Lord has done for you. You know, the greatest thing that we can share, the starting point can be, this is what Jesus has done for me, that can lead to so many other wonderful conversations. Let us take hold of this Easter season and take it as an opportunity to be able to say, this is who Jesus is and you can know him. And so 
as I draw this to the clock to a close, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to share with you via technology today. This Palm Sunday Jesus, he's also the Good Friday Jesus. We give thanks for his sacrifice. And he's the Easter Sunday Jesus, raised again from the dead, triumphing over the powers of death and hell. During this Easter season, may you and I, may we be proved faithful in continuing to follow him. God bless you.